<laughs> hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peach Tree podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peach Tree Hoops, who's writing for Peach Tree Hoops today. Uh, Glenn, what'd you think of all the stuff that went down at the trade deadline? Where do you want to start? By, I was surprised by the volume. Um, I, I, I thought, and now in the relevant volume, I guess to say, you always see kind of teams maneuvering again with the tax and you know all that sort of stuff, you know. But we saw like a lot of legitimate basketball trades, you know. Um, I had a piece go up around eight o'clock Eastern time tonight, capturing my view of how the Eastern Conference kind of changed. And uh, you know, I have definitely have thoughts on the what went around the Western Conference too. Um, but of course, the big one was Harden uh, Simmons. Um, and that and that uh, was reportedly not going to happen. And then, you know, we had dueling, more than dueling, whatever you get to third, fourth <laughs> sets of news sources and stuff around that. So uh, I had a super busy day today, but it was nice uh, during breaks to kind of get the news and get the updates to see what's uh, happening. And it's one of the busier trade deadlines I, I remember. Yeah, and the biggest trade is going to affect the Hawks. If not this year, maybe somewhere down the line with the top of the Eastern Conference. Uh, who is better shaped for now? Who's better shaped for next year and beyond? How, how does this change the future of the Eastern Conference? Or is it just Giannis still gets to do what he wants? Yeah, well, I mean, I still think it's it's kind of wide open at the top in the East. I, I think, you know, if we, to kind of – I touched on this in my article, but basically what the Bucks did was they got Ibaka to um, address the risk that Lopez might not be able to come back and play for them, right? Last, last year in their title right. run, Lopez gave them rim protection and three-point shooting. Ibaka is not going to give probably either – amount like uh, you know of that um but he can give you some replication of both uh, potentially he has the potential to to give you that so bucks kind of made a move to run run back the model that they used last year minus minus pj tucker um you know the sixers uh are gonna have to incorporate i think the most amount of change um everything has been revolved around and beat obviously on offense and now you've got one of the more ball dominant higher usage players in history uh, kind of going in there. I wrote that I thought Philadelphia really opened up their offensive ceiling. I don't know how much of that ceiling they're actually realized. It'll come down to can Doc and the coaching staff and, and beat and Harden find a way to integrate themselves with one another. Um, but one of the reasons the Hawks got past them last year was that they were a significantly flawed offensive team. And now at least they have um, the, the core pieces to really raise that offensive ceiling um, and maybe avoid some of the real uh, dry offensive stretches they had last year. And then uh, in Brooklyn, it's kind of hard to know when we're actually going to see all the pieces, you know, playing together. You know, Ben Simmons hasn't played at all this year. Uh, when might he play there? Um, we all know about Kyrie's situation and, and Kevin Durant's hurt. We're not really sure when he's going to be back. They lost to the Wizards tonight. The Wizards who traded away some of their better players. Um, so I, I, I think, I don't think Brooklyn's really chasing anything super important in the regular season and in the way that maybe some other teams are. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think Philadelphia has a higher offensive ceiling. I think Brooklyn has more balance grabbing the defender that is Ben Simmons, assuming he can kind of come back and, and really play consistently for them. Um, and then, you know, Elsewhere, I thought Boston did a really nice job today, too. So where I'm not sure where you might want to dig in there, but those are kind of my high-level thoughts on, on the in the East, anyway. Yeah, I find myself liking what Brooklyn did more than Philadelphia. I, you know, I do think Philadelphia has reached the objective of, hey, we can't waste what might be Joel Embiid's best season ever. Mm-hmm. Right. And they've done well, but uh, I would be anxious about whatever James Harden's next contract is going to be and having to be the owner of that contract. Agreed. So I like it from Brooklyn's perspective. You know, they're taking the picks. They're taking Ben Simmons, who's under contract, who is going to have the offensive pieces around him to make it work. 
if if they can get KD and Kyrie around him, I think that's about as as good as you can do around Ben Simmons. And you know, I, I worry. You know, a couple of things with Philadelphia is is Doc going to be willing to stagger Embiid and Harden as much as possible? And what does Philadelphia do on defense if you're not? switching for James Harden because you've got Joel Embiid there's you know you 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 don't want to do that but you've got to get Harden to be physically right which at his age I don't know how he gets to that point and becomes a a decent defender in a system that isn't sort of tailor-made to cover his flaws so I, I I don't know I mean I I agree that the Sixers got better on offense but I'm just I I have so many question marks to you know, I feel like they answered one question and opened three more. Yeah, I, I think people who know me well know I'm not the biggest believer in James Harden. Um, I mean, his capability is uh, really unquestionable. Uh, he, I mean, he has had some of the greatest offensive seasons in the history of the league. Uh, my questions come down to, can he coexist with other high-level talent? Uh, we haven't really seen that. You know, he he and Chris Paul got through like two seasons and uh, came as close as anyone did in the Western Conference ever did to um, to getting past the Warriors um, and just couldn't uh, make that happen. And then, you know, I, I think his approach to the game makes it tough to integrate him with guys of other serious capabilities. So, you know, from a basketball analysis standpoint, Daryl Morey, I think, did kind of changed the formula and uh and opened up the possibility they could have a much higher functioning offense um but i have a ton of questions around whether that's actually going to manifest or not uh and a lot of that goes back to just my feeling about the way that james harden kind of approaches the game and and how well he can or or can't be integrated in with someone like Embiid. i'm just waiting for i mean i i hope it works out i mean why why would anyone want to turn on the tv and see a team struggling to kind of make the pieces work together that's not what i'm hoping for but i i'm kind of preparing myself to see hard dribbling 11 to 12 seconds of a shot clock with Embiid kind of somewhere in the low block looking at him and like isn't quite sure <laughs> you know what, what he what's supposed to be going on in that possession that just feels like it's going to be inevitable and hopefully that's there's less of that and, and there's more uh well integrated stuff but I, I agree with you i think i think brooklyn did really well i wrote that they kind of have been, you know, earlier in the season when they were winning a lot of games, they were really doing their best work on the defensive end of the court. And it was guys like Bruce Brown and um, at the time, uh, DeAndre Brembury, who was um, uh, released today uh, by them. But they kind of got a power forward slash center size Bruce Brown. And and in my mind, when you have a, a non-shooter at the four or the five, uh, it, most NBA offenses are kind of baked that in in some form, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to having like a small guard, as good as Bruce Brown is on, on is on defense and helpful as he is, he and like I guess now Kessler Edwards, um, you know, it's going to be hard to play those guys really deep in a playoff run. Those guys will get presumably right. played off the floor at some point. But Simmons gives you so much passing and ball handling, and then he plays a position where typically, like I said, you baked in some non-shooting there, and he's a defensive player of the year caliber defender. Um, and, right. and that that was not something that they really had in the mix ahead of this trade. So I kind of like the Brooklyn side more too. Um, although I understand Daryl Morey's position that you know Embiid's playing at such a phenomenal level, and you have to kind of factor in also too just injury risk and how long this peak might last for him. I mean, not going what I hope it goes a good long while. But I mean, you, you whatever going all in looks like to him, he had he almost had to make that kind of move um, to to really kind of bring to bear um, as much you know, kind of uh, ceiling as he could to the season. And if that was the goal, I thought, and to a decent degree, he kind of capitalized on that. Um, but I'm like you, I, I like the I like the Brooklyn side better. But you know, how far they go is going to depend on. When Durant comes back, how how close to 100% is he? Do they get Kyrie Irving for every game in the post? You know, there's a lot of variables still on the Brooklyn side, of, uh, of course, as well. But I, I think their investment goes beyond this season. Uh, or on the Philadelphia side, just like you said, with that that next contract, if that's what they're, you know, getting into, um, he opted into next season, I think, today, right? 
Um, uh, so a little time to kind of work that out. But what is it? He's he's what forty seven and a half million next year, I think, and it's going to be more than that uh, on a five year deal. That yeah, uh, that yeah, he's thirty two like, and a half. Yeah, and he's never you know he hasn't gone to a finals yet. Like he's not he's not LeBron. Like he's not he's he's a Hall of Fame right. player, but you start talking about five-year contracts for guys who are 33 and you yeah. look at the tail end of that and go, and I, I think, I think it's especially true with hard. And I don't think he's been particularly durable of late. And, and then cause in, in my mind, yeah, and in my mind, it, it seems funny to say this because of the workload he can handle, but at time, I mean, there's been enough evidence in my mind of him wearing down across the latter part of the season. Right. Uh, which could happen to anybody, but uh, you know, to me, it's like, I, I, I wouldn't say a question, but I'm curious, like, where is his conditioning compared to other players at that level, you know? Right. Um, and how that shows up on defense and, and just some of his habits, you know, that, that aren't really what you want the, the leader to kind of demonstrating. So like he and CP were so good. It's like, you ask yourself, why could they not make it work another one year or two? You know, and it was they were just done. And and Maury made one of the worst trades that you know you could make is sending out CP for Russ, you know, uh, which turned into the Wizards and Lakers and all that sort of stuff. But uh, but that's to me, that's I'm not shocked that Harden didn't last a super long time in Brooklyn. I, I I'm curious um if there's a sense that he doesn't want to be held accountable to the things that, that that the Brooklyn organization wants everyone to buy into. And so he's going to a familiar uh, you know, person and it's basketball life, Daryl Morey. And, and you know, he kind of, he and Daryl knows what the other is about and hopefully that provides some comfort and all that sort of stuff. But I, I just personally have a ton of questions about Harden's ability to integrate and uh, around other high level talent in a way that kind of maximizes all that for a sustained period of time. That's just my own personal uh, kind of question. The basketball analysis is, could be phenomenal if it, if it clicks. Yeah. Uh, the Sixers have Paul Reed. Now they have Paul Millsap. The, you got B-ball Paul and the original B-ball Paul. Uh, keep James Harden and Joel Embiid from killing each other. Good luck, Paul. It- and yeah, you're like pop, and it, it'll probably take two, right? Yeah, it might <laughs> so, take two. Yeah, and then I and I thought, you know, I thought Curry was a big part of this deal. I, I know I've heard yeah. from people, you know, I've heard from people where I've said I think Harden's gonna have to do basically all the offensive work at the guard slash wing positions. They're like Tyrese Maxey, and I'm like, you know, he's a nice young player, but he doesn't really he's not really consequential in how I'm looking at what, what they're trying to do here now. And he's not a good will he help? to Harden. Not, not at all. And that's not to say that he's not going to have a good seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year career or whatever. Right. You know, I like him as a young player. He's just not going to, I mean, they have like less than 30 games left to figure this out and he's young. He's super young. So I think Curry being swung in the deal is a really big deal, especially because on the Brooklyn side, Joe Harris probably maybe doesn't play again this year, which is a massive impact for them. But then when you're building around Durant and Kyrie, I mean, having a guy who will work off ball like he does and is one of the, I think, easily one of the five best shooters in the league, um, that's pretty massive. Um, And I think it's a big loss for, for Philly. Yep. I agree. Uh, you know, to, to sort of put it another way with the maxi thing, and maybe to transition to another trade, like, you know, Cleveland went and got Karis Levert. And it's like, if, if they, if they had gotten Karis Levert and they still had Rubio, then you would, you would hate that because like between Garland and Rubio and, and Levert, it's like Levert. I mean, he's just not the he's not the complimentary piece you want to go with those ball handlers. But you know, with Rubio down for the season, I kind of like it. Like you, you just need somebody else, some competent uh, playmaker at the point of attack. I know he's not a great passer, but Cleveland just doesn't have enough at guard and at ball handler. And you know, with with Rubio not there, it's like okay, you know, I, I like that as a stopgap to kind of help them going forward uh with rubio out for the season yeah i i mean i've been 
I felt like I've been rooting for Levert for a while. I mean, anybody who kind of enters the league with the injury story and all the effort he put in and then the other kind of health um, uh, risks he encountered when he was traded in, in, the, in the Indy and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I do worry about his passing limitation. I worry about his kind of uh, ball handling being, I would say, average. Um, but I, I think the idea there was not necessarily that, like, oh, we're going to put Garland and Levert on the court and have two – real powerhouse like offensive players is like no in in our condition if we don't put something out there that can stress and, and over leverage the defense then Darius Garland is going to be dealing with all of the defensive attention and we're not gonna have anywhere to go and I think Levert really is just that a guy who can attack that second side let the ball rotate to him uh if the opposing defense is throwing everything at Garland in the way that Hawks fans see trade deal with all the time, right? It's gonna be it would yep. be a similar kind of scenario. Yep. And 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 I do even worse. <laughs> for sure. Even for sure. There's no herder there, there's no hunter, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um and um and so I I think the trade is logical from their side. I hope that JB Bickerstaff and the rest of the coaching staff can kind of get Levert to visualize what he needs to be doing to help the team because uh, I think his instinct is like a lot of guys is to just kind of create in, in a way that feels natural and organic for him, but he needs to be kind of almost surgical in the way he attacks it over leverage defense. So which is going to be a difference for him, a change for him. I hope it works out. I'm a little, I guess, worried for them that it, it might take more than the season, but I mean, that's, a, that's okay. They, they got their, a young core uh, with a, a nice uh, upward trajectory. And if it takes more into like next season, I think that's okay. But uh, in terms of like Cavaliers fans, hoping that this is going to kind of solve their issue and kind of, you know, get them into a top four seed scenario and have them making some noise in the playoffs. I, I'm not super confident about that. How did Washington get Porzingis? <laughs> For Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Like, I get that maybe Dallas wanted to move on from Kristaps. They couldn't get better than that. Like, they don't even get off money, really. Like, I don't get that deal at all. What are we doing? That's a terrible trade. Am I missing something? It's weird. I mean, the only thing I can think of is um, just to think that Dinwiddie had a miserable time trying to play with bill and that if you kind of get him out of there, that perhaps he goes back to being the Dinwiddie that we, we all saw kind of before that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we, we all watched like Reggie Bullock in the playoffs last year struggle uh, as a ball handler and to kind of attack closeouts and things like that. And that's Dinwiddie's going to be on a whole different level. Now Bullock is a shot maker that Dinwiddie isn't obviously, but right. just to have an extra ball handling there, to have a guy who's willing to take tough shots and, and kind of play in clutch moments and handle and all that sort of stuff. I think if you, I think if the intel tells you that the bad play we saw for him this year was just a horrible experience trying to integrate with Bill, then there, then this season, his play this season in Washington could be an aberration that you know, get to um, uh, adjust it, you know, as soon as he's kind of in a different setting. So from that vantage point, it makes sense. Davis Bertans, I mean, I think he had to be in the deal to make the money work. He's been an atrocious shooter since he got on this new contract, basically. And his athleticism has just kind of disappeared. I don't know what's going on there, injury or whatever, but and I think that had to had to be there. So, I, you know, I think Dirk, I'm uh, oh, sorry, Dirk, I called him Dirk. I think, <laughs> I think Chris Tapps is... Um, I, I don't know. He just starts to strike you as like a, a malcontent, you know, a guy who's just not been happy in whatever situation. And, and you know, I get like his, what the Knicks were when he was there, they're a mess, you know? And if you look at what's going on in Dallas, I, I know the, the casual fan might not know, but they have turned over that entire organization in the last year and a half. Right. Uh, and I, you know, and uh, I mean, I like know. their defense without Porzingis. We, we saw that. Yeah. Up close this week. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I mean, Cuban went in with like Bob Garris and the, and now Donnie Jr.'s out. Oh, yeah. Don Nelson Jr.'s out. And I personally think that organization is just a wreck right now. I, I can't imagine, like, how do you take a guy like Don Nelson Jr., who steered them like through all of 
they've had a lot of success there for the kind of franchise that they are, you know, in my opinion, and just how steady they've been at kind of chasing just goodness, you know, and and been pretty effective at it. Um, And then I I don't understand the turnover there. So, I mean, I, you know, you got, you have talent like Luca, who's just phenomenal. You had 50 something points tonight. Um, And they're going to be fine, you know, because you have that top end talent there, but I don't understand like the plan um, you know, Jason Kidd is certainly exceeding my expectations and his, his staff uh, um, this year. I, I know um, Sean Sweeney, kind of his defensive mind there on the bench, deserves, I'm sure, a lot of credit for what's going on uh, over there. But I, I just think under Cuban and the turnover in the front office, I, I just think that I can't see something sustaining there that is going to result in kind of building up to a sustain something that's going to work. And, you know, maybe we'll be wrong, but I, I just don't know how you chase off Donnie Jr. and take all his power away from him after, you know, two, a couple of good decades of really, really good work there and, and kind of just happened to fall into something better. So I think um, that's how I feel about Dallas. And then on the Washington side, I think they're trying to kind of figure out, figure things out. You know, or, or do we have Bill for three, four, five more years, or do we not? And if, uh, you know, if we have to move him after he presumably signs an extension, then, you know, what are we doing then? And so uh, I, I think they're trying to sort out what their identity is, is what I would guess. But a weird trade that kind of makes sense on a couple levels, but doesn't really make sense on many other, other levels. But it was an interesting one for sure. Is he going to play center? Like they already have a at least in the short term, a bushel of power forwards. Well, I mean, they have Gafford and Bryant, I guess, still there, right? Because they moved Montrez to, to Charlotte. Right. Um, so they have a couple of centers that they've been playing anyway. So it's it's hard to it's hard to see. Like, is you know, are they going? What are they? Are they? How, what are they investing in Rui? What are they investing in Denny? Right. Um, yeah. You know, That's what I mean. Weird. Like. You've right. got Kuzma, you've got Avia, you've got Hachimura. It's like they got we've already got a log jam at power four. I I don't know. The whole that whole trade is just uh, the trade of sadness. I I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it. but I I would hope. I mean, I, like Gafford, it shows some promise for sure, but he's right. he still fouls a ton. Right. Um, and then Thomas Bryant is uh, you know I he's. I enjoy kind of the energy he brings. He's made himself. Wait, into... did, which who got traded? Uh, Harold got traded, but didn't somebody else get traded too? Am I missing? Am I? I feel like somebody else. Uh, Maybe I'll not. Pull it up. Yeah, I, not that I can recall. <laughs> there's a lot to process. Oh, there's a ton, and and you know what? We're we're gonna get something wrong. There's so much today that we're gonna get something <laughs> wrong here. But I'm, I'm I have uh, Kevin Pelton's article here. And where the big ones at least are here. Like Gafford, and, was it? I feel like it was Gafford got ended up somewhere, but maybe so. I'm wrong. I don't think so. Okay. I know Harold got traded, but let me just. I, I don't want to. I don't want to mess it up. Even I'd rather pause the podcast. All right. Sure. Looks like he's still on the Wizards. Okay. Yeah, Why I know that. Got like mixed up on yeah, that. I know, yeah, I know Charlotte was. Oh, you know what it was? I think uh, no. I know there was news like a week ago that he was like out of the rotation that they said he wasn't going to play anymore. So maybe that, maybe that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm well, Bryant just came back and started playing. So yeah. it, it kind of, it kind of makes sense. It's, I thought their center situation has been weird anyway. Um, uh, even though they have like a mold, they had came up with several competent kind of uh, centers there, but Gafford to me is still a project and Harold is a guy who should be playing for, like on the second unit of a, of a high-powered offensive team, because just because the way how much you can kind of bring in that kind of role, right? Um, and then Bryant is just a, kind of a glue guy, you know, that can function on a team where that's that's what you want from maybe your second-string center. But I, I, I never felt like any of them were kind of guys that could start on a team that you're really trying to kind of build up, you know. Um, and I, I looked down the road at Charlotte, you know, who – um, added Montrez today and kind of the whole season I've been just amazed at what they've been able to put together kind of one through four those positions and it's just like how do you 
enter a season with like nothing at center when the rest of your team is pretty darn good, you know? Right. And I just kind of feel like that's kind of where Washington's been heading. And so maybe, maybe they are going to play Porzingis at five. Maybe that is a plan. I'll be shocked if he, maybe as he gets a little older, his body can kind of handle that, but it's never been able to yet, you know? So we'll see. It's pretty funny that Harrell ended up in Charlotte because it's like, you know, they needed a, a center who's not six six, and they went and got a center who's six six, <laughs> and all yeah. offense. And like they, they already had that kind of, and now they, I mean, the the offense can just go gangbusters. Like he's going to be a a great fit on offense, but I don't know. It's just just feels like they got better at what they're already good at and worse at what they're already bad at. Yeah, it it is kind of strange. Um, but what I wrote uh, in my piece was. Either they've decided to play a quote real center for 48 minutes. Mason Plumley, Montrez Harrell will will stretch the word real uh, there for part of that. Least. Yeah. Um, uh, or they've decided to try to upgrade the, the Plumley minutes to Harrell, and they'll still use like Pete Washington at five, you know, for stretches and and, and such. But uh, we'll have to see what the which direction they go. Are they still going to play these small ball lineups that just get absolutely mashed on defense, or um, you know, if they play Pumley twenty four minutes and Montrez twenty four minutes, are they still avoiding getting completely mashed on defense? You know, it's a, yeah. it's a question. You know, so the Celtics that that could be a team that the Hawks face in a play in game, maybe. And yeah, they have some defense. Now. I love what they did today. I, right? I, yeah. Um, I I think you know it's it's kind of weird. It's been weird for the last number of seasons to see Josh Richardson kind of bounce around and not stick somewhere, and you kind of kind of wonder what that's about. And then you you remind yourself like he's he's not really a three. He's a one or two, right? Defensively, in terms of the defensive right. size and things like that. And he's still just not quite a good enough shooter. And he's definitely not quite enough good enough ball handler to kind of really help a team really kind of get to a high level. And I thought, I thought, um, you know, Dennis is an expiring contract. And I thought he, I always thought he was going to be a tough fit with Jalen and Jason anyway, because he really needs to kind of pound the ball to do what he does. Right. And that's not what you want next to, Tatum and Brown there and mm-hmm. you know and, and I think Boston doesn't really need a traditional point guard right now I think they need right. kind of combo guards good secure ball handlers that are okay playing off the ball in the half court you know and mm-hmm. I think White Derek White gives you that and Marcus Smart gives you that and I think they've really I think it, it, it probably like if you turn on ESPN or whatever I think it'll I think it might go unnoticed but their real upgrade from Richardson to White, who I think are pretty comparable defenders, is the ball handling. This is the secure ball handling and the creation. And when Smart goes out, um, they really miss that uh, at the one and two. Um, and I think that they'll be able to have either Smart or White on at all times just to help even just bring the ball up and get them into what they're doing. White's just a really steady young veteran uh, now. And, and I think White still fits into their switch-heavy defensive scheme. That they're going to want to run, and I, you know, it's it, I don't know how many years in a row of making jokes about how about Danny Ainge getting to the one yard line on the most amazing trade in the history of the league, <laughs> and uh, look at Brad Stevens go out and do some really good work today. That was interesting to see uh, within that franchise for sure. Yeah, they you mentioned the switching defense. They also did the uh, German national team trade of Daniel Tice for Dennis Schroeder. Right. Do, do you like Tice there? Is he just kind of insurance? Is he going to play? How's that going to shake out? I, I think part of it is just that um, as they moved toward that in his freedom, I guess he goes by now, I had no fit there at all. And, no. um, you yeah, know, so I'm not sure what happens with Dennis Truder at this point, but I think, I think, um, uh, I always forget in the midst of recording, like, is it Tice or Tice? Tice, yeah. Says, Tice, okay. Yeah. So it's just like the old Vikings coach, yep. all, which I'll know because I've lived in Minnesota. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, no, I think he fits that switching scheme on defense. And he has, at times, been a, a pretty reliable center, or sorry, shooter for the position, you know. So, yeah, I think he works. I think he's, uh, I think, I think that works and play him behind. Rob Williams there and 
um, and that, that gives them something to go to. I don't think they really had a solution uh, uh, there this year, and they they tried some Jabari. I think they tried to kind of fit Grant Williams into that role, and it just hasn't been enough rim production uh, and rebounding and and those sorts of things. So I I, I think now they can kind of use Grant Williams uh, exclusively as a power forward and play him. Uh, versus matchups that kind of make sense the rest just kind of all falls together so you know i wrote uh today that i i think this is, makes it pretty unlikely the hawks catch boston i, I think boston may be the best defensive team in the league right now based on how teams are playing right now um and I, and I think it might it might be pretty tough for the hawks docs to get them i think they did really good work today and improve themselves this one's a couple days old but what about the sabonis halliburton that also just i don't know like indiana clearly just blew it up and i guess you kind of have to look at what they did in some sort of totality in terms of what they got for assets and what they can do moving forward and and all of that uh, and halliburton went from the guy who's like underrated by everybody to maybe the guy that's overrated not <laughs> that he's not that he's in any way a bad player, but like, I don't know. You know, you, you Sabonis is, is a quote unquote all-star. I have to put quotes there. Like, but he's 25. I don't know. He doesn't, he just, just doesn't seem like he moves the needle for Sacramento. Like, well, now they've got Sabonis They're They're going to start winning. Like he's not good enough defensively. I, I, I will say this. Um, And I'm, Davion Mitchell, am I getting that name right? That's right. I'm just like, okay. Like, I kind of like Sabonis. Like, I I don't think Mitchell is like this terrific caliber of point guard. Uh, I mean, obviously, he just has massive flaws on offense and he's right. unbelievable on defense. Right. I kind of like him with Sabonis. Like, I think that's a good mesh. If Agreed. if you really think Mitchell can't work a point guard like Sabonis is the kind of guy you got to put next to him I think I just I still don't think that moves him the needle like you you're just gonna have to be so good in some other like you have to like I don't know I mean I guess they're gonna get a great pick this season uh I just don't see the path for them they haven't had a path for a long time and I'm an old man so I don't know I, I like it enough. It just kind of seems like spinning in place. I, I think Halliburton, honestly, maybe gave you a better path. Like, I believe in Halliburton Fox as a pair more than I believe in Mitchell's a bonus. But, like, okay, fine. Let you try it out and see how it works. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised uh, that that ownership group was interested in a guy like Sabonis. Um an intriguing kind of player, marketable player in that in that sense, you know. I guess um, I I like your thoughts on Davion and Sabonis because I, I think I, I I don't sort of like when I talked about the Celtics. I don't know that if you're going to build around Sabonis as one of your players, that you need necessarily a traditional point guard because he does so much facilitation. He's such a great passer. He's so good right. at, at the elbow. Um, and he knows how to go from elbow to DHO back to elbow. I mean, he, the way he seamlessly transitions in from one action to the other as the defense throws stuff at him is that it's elite. It's really special what he does. I know, I know that's a really kind of nuanced area to see him like, oh, I'm, I'm mid post. And then the defense runs something at them, and all of a sudden he gets into a DHO, someone coming from the corner from the weak side. Then they clear the defense out again, and all of a sudden I'm back. And the way he kind of manipulates and handles all the stuff is just. It is it's something to watch, and it's 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 different than what you get at most centers. But because of his defensive limitations, uh, and he's a physical center, and he'll work for rebounds for sure, but he just really doesn't have any verticality to him, and the rim protection is just not not there. So I think you're going to have to build. When I think about at the two, three, and four, I think about like if you know if they had what Toronto had going on with like Scotty Barnes and OG, right? It's that that's what that's <laughs> and Thad Young they went added to it. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that in a minute. I'm, I, like, but like, you're gonna need like a three and a four that's like a Scotty Barnes, OG, and Moby to work defensively with Sabonis. 
right? So it made sense that, I mean, whatever, if, if Marvin Bagley is a thing or not, that's it, a different conversation, but like they went ahead and moved on from him. Right. But like, I don't know if you, what did you watch any of the Kings and, and um, who were they, the Wolves last night? Did you have to catch any of no. that? No. Um, but like uh, Metu was like, I mean, Sabonis was diming him up like crazy on baseline cuts and all that sort of stuff. And he's, you know, most uh, like literally 80% of casual NBA fans might not know who he is, but he might like be the template of something that could work at power forward, a lot of energy, um, some shooting equity. And he just like cut, 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 cut that, like just nonstop cutting in the half court. And I was watching that game last night. I was like, Sabonis might lead the league in assists if they just put a bunch of cutters around him and right and stuff. So I mean, there's they definitely don't have the roster makeup right now to kind of do anything with him. But if they could kind of pursue a Toronto kind of type of model right now, you know, I think it could work. And I think Davion could be kind of a your kind of point guard defender uh, throughout all of that. And um, but there, there's a lot of work to do in Sacramento. Um, an evergreen statement to make, I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, what about the India? What about the Pacers side? What do you think about that? I mean, I think getting Halliburton is is really good. I mean, I think I think that's a good move. Like, you know, maybe he doesn't make an All Star team, and Sabonis did, but I just I think he can have a big impact on winning. He's just such a wonderful complementary player that you know he. he a little bit like her like he's just an ideal guy to just have as your sort of second ball handler you can shoot can play make you know just does enough on defense he he's a really good complimentary player and it, it just you know it seems like as we've gone through some of these game teams today you know we're talking about uh Karis Levert and other guys like that it's like you know they they're they're good if they have the ball in their hands but they're not great compliments i think Halliburton can just be a great compliment uh and it remains to be seen what what he's supposed to compliment in indiana but i think i think indiana's kind of winning this trade in, in the long run yeah I, I it's kind of funny because it's like who won the trade it's like well you know what sacramento is doing is most intriguing to me but i don't that, that doesn't factor to it on the court kind of you know they won the deal and it's just like you said like a Rick Carlisle offense is a high pick and roll. And it's like, I don't think Halliburton is a high usage pick and roll guy. I think he's that secondary guy and the guy who can right. do it when your starters on the bench and things like that. But is Brogdon that guy, you know? And I mean, Brogdon is just a, a really proficient ball handler and decision maker and all that sort of stuff. And I coming into the season, I thought, you know, I don't play fantasy basketball, but I was like, if you do, you should probably get Malcolm Brogdon on your team with Rick Carlock coming to town and his ability to run the pick and roll hasn't worked out with his health this year, but, uh, or are the Pacers going to chase, you know, someone to come in and kind of be that guy that someone who I'm not thinking of right now, like, you know, are they going to try to talk themselves that something like if Colin Sexton were available, you know, or I, you know, um, I don't know you know what 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 that kind of looks like but it is interesting like who is Halliburton going to be complimenting you know if he's going to be your you know number two kind of offensive guy what does that look like um and what now what does Turner look like without Sabonis there you know Turner has struggled to stay healthy and Sabonis has been the one who's taken all the physicals assignments you know in that front court right so it's you know kind of like in Washington where you know Indiana has more serious pieces right now, um, but it's like, what's the identity? You know, I, I don't think we can see that uh, from the outside, at least right now. And I, one player, you know, we kind of mentioned that Sacramento-Indiana trade. Like one player I was intrigued for from the Hawks side is, you know, can can they get Justin Holiday? Like, is, is right. he going to get cut? Is he going to get waived? You know, is he vaccinated? Can he play home games in California? And then he played a home game last night, so... Right. Maybe they. Just, I guess they're just going to keep them. I, I didn't know that that was going to work out, and I was, you know, from from the hawk side, ready to pounce because if you could get him on the cheap, that that's a guy that kind of we mentioned. I think that we did this like last week or something. That's a guy that kind of fit what you need. Yeah. Who who was in the Atlanta front office when they traded for Justin Holiday? I think he was a signing, like a one year, one million dollar signing. And it was, oh, it's just, oh that's right. And he was, he was literally, he, he was one of the guys 
it was literally like in the wake of the fairy thing. I don't know if it was right before the fairy thing happened, right after the fairy thing happened. Yeah. It was either like the last thing fairy did or the first thing that like Bud and Wes Wilcox did. It was right around there. Uh, Tabo was right around then too. Like both, both those, I, I'm pretty sure it was after. Um, yeah, that makes sense to me too. Cause it, it seems like it was. So yeah, yeah, Wes Wilcox got him again in Sacramento. Right. Yeah. Probably and, wanted uh, him. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and he's a really helpful player, you know, yeah. which is why we talked about yeah. him being helpful on the Hawks. And we talked about you know, who they might want to kind of pursue there, but uh, you know, but, I mean, Buddy Hill going to Indy, it's like, do they want, want Buddy Hill? Like, you know, I mean, in my mind, if you're building a pick and roll offense, Buddy Hill is your guy who will, you know, spot up and lift on that backside, just knock down the shots all season long for you. That's a pretty good fit, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, was the, you know, was that a, a, a piece, a, a piece that really attracted Indy or was it just kind of something that had to be in it to kind of, kind of make it work out. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what the Pacers you know, try to make themselves into, I, I, you know, knowing, their DNA, they're not, you know, thinking two or three years on the road. They're thinking about getting themselves ready to be something, you know, really improved next year. So it's going to be an interesting offseason um, uh, for them there. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating. Um, and then, you know, I don't know. I think I almost want to notice that Phoenix added Tory Craig back from Indy. Yeah. And, and then they got um, Aaron Holiday. Uh, who was with Washington and not playing much? Who was Honeta was taking all the minutes that you might think that Aaron Holiday gets. And uh, when I saw like Tory Craig and Aaron Holiday, I was like, oh, they're getting ready. They're adding guys who can chase stuff for twelve to fourteen minutes a game in the postseason because they're not. Well, they don't want to have Booker and CP like deal with that on defense. And you know, somebody surely Bridges would take that first. You know, take twenty five minutes of that or whatever. You know, you wouldn't probably wouldn't want him anyone doing that for a full 35 minutes, you know, or whatever that is. But, I, you know, I think I see Phoenix adding guys specifically um, that can uh, kind of deal with stuff or a few uh, rotations a game. So I was interested to see those two defensive-minded guys get pulled into to Phoenix there. Speaking of defensive-minded guys, is there anything I know where you're going with this. to do? <laughs> What's that? How about Mr. – about- I said, I think I know where you're going with this. And, uh, we no, I just want to know about the Hawks. Like, they, they need a defensive guy, right? Is there is Can they get Bembry? Do they need to, like, go back and sign Wesowundu? Like, what do they need to do to get, like, the one more defender that they need? Like, they, it seems like they need it. I don't know that they believe in TLC. I just – I don't know. Like, is, is there something there that they can still do? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the, first of all, we know they have an open roster spot. So, they, you know, they right. could, if they if, if they thought, if they had someone that I think they thought was better than TLC, they, they could, you know, make two moves. And then that all come down to who actually gets bought out. Um, you know, like just as a hypothetical example, I don't think it's a fit for the Hawks, but like, does Dennis Schroeder play in Houston or, or do they buy him out and let him try to go find a, you know, a different kind of situation right. for himself? I think they There's buy a few. Him right. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and such. So I think Bembry would be, uh, you know, a guy that you can use, um, you know, some games where you need a, a really good second defender. And I think, you know, I don't know how much Hawks fans watched him in uh, in Brooklyn, but he got better. And I think I think I saw you put something on Twitter today about was his ball handling or. I mean, I um, think they gave him a role where he's more of a power forward, and so you know, right. he's he's just handling the ball less, but you know, and, suddenly and he's not a turnover machine. Right. Yeah. And at the four, you're in space more with the ball rather than in traffic and, you know, having multiple sets of eyes of defenders kind of staring at you down. But, you know, I think that's possible. I've liked a wound as well. Uh, I just think Bembry is a, has more physical strength and offers something kind of up to the three and the four as opposed to a wound really being more defensively as of a two right. or three, I guess. You know, I think Bembry can give you more in, in transition. Like he's just. Yep. He, 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 you know, when he was in Atlanta, uh, you know, the early years, I think he struggled a little bit with, with finishing and transition, but like in terms of defensive transition uh, and, and now I think a little bit on offense, I think that's just a guy that, that can give you that, you know, Nate's Nate's mentioned transition a lot 
with respect to the bigs lately. And I I think, you know, it's something that he's looking for to just make things a little better down the stretch, that they're they're leaving some points there. And I think he could help more than, say, a Wundu in that department. Yeah, and it's interesting when I want to tell the short version of this, but like when I think about it, this applies in different ways. So I think to Tori and and DeAndre to start, you know, out in Bud, where Bud's system is as, as prescriptive as it gets. You stand right there. And then when this happens, you move right there. Um, and, and that it's that rigid, um, uh, and it's that color. And I don't want to use the, the term rigid to, to, to make it sound like there's so much negative connotation. There's so much calibration, maybe is a better word to how all that has to happen, uh, and, and such that, you know, and then to move into, you know, Lloyd Lloyd's system where it was development, 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 and to throw all this opportunity at them, which was, it was, it was kind of, uh, you know, complete 180. Uh, and that's hard for, I think, young wings to kind of deal with that, you know, uh, right. to a degree. And so it would not surprise me if Bimbry's the kind of guy that once he kind of says, okay, this is who I am, or once he discovers, this is who I am, this is what I can do, you know, this is how I help my team, that he just has a, a, a nice, you know, long, steady career as an eighth or ninth guy on good teams that just fits kind of right in and is no longer trying to kind of make himself into say a starter, you know, or a primary or whatever, you know, those things are. And I'd, I'd be absolutely thrilled to see him uh, in that role. And, and I, I do think he would add something useful to the mix uh, with Atlanta. If that, if that's out there, um, it'll take uh, a few days and even then, you know, for some guys, a few weeks. So for the guys who just got traded, we might find out a good, number of them already like today we found out Eric Bledsoe is not getting um, uh, bought out in Portland. You and I expect Dennis in the next day or two to get bought out in Houston and et cetera, et cetera. Um, what's actually going to happen with Goran Dragic? I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, for, for sure, but it sounds like he's probably not going to play in San Antonio. Right. Uh, so a lot of those things will kind of work themselves out, but the buyout deadline is we're still weeks away from that. And it may take some teams to actually fall out, fall out, out, <laughs> you know, like is Gary Harris, is Gary Harris going to get bought out at some point? You know, I think that's, that's, that's interesting. interesting one, yeah. You know, so there's a number of guys like that, but it'll, it'll take some time um, to figure that out. Um, you mentioned Thad Young earlier with Toronto. How do you see that working out? Do you, do you think that moves the needle for them at all? Because everyone else seems way more intrigued with that than I am. I just think it's I, – I think it's curious. I, I Honestly, I can't piece it together in my mind. Like, what what does that do? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. When, when you look at the way they switch and – I was like, he can't move with the – like, he doesn't have the mobility to kind of – Actually, well, with. their bench is so bad, though, like. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a huge upgrade. So, like, even if it's a little bit of a shaky fit, it's still a massive upgrade. Like, they can't keep going on playing seven guys. Like, they just can't do that. So, and and that's what that's where I thought was the benefit came from was just a trusted, competent veteran guy that can yeah. just give you even if it's ten minutes a game, right? That right. just helps you not have such a short rotation. And Nick Nurse will do anything. He'll be like, "Hey guys, we're going to run a zone when that's <laughs> you know, and we're going to just you know completely do something different just to buy you some time and things yeah. like that." Um, and, but you know, the five out on the offensive side, the five out stuff they run where you want a guy who moves the ball, will set screens, move, 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 move. Uh, he works wonderfully, I think, on that end. Yeah, I it's think it's going to be a good fit. Yeah, I think on defense it's just gonna be interesting to see how Nurse tries to make that work. If um, or if Thad Young moves better than I think he does at this point, and I'll just be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that that sounds good. Are we are we missing any? I mean, I know that we haven't necessarily talked about everything. Like you you mentioned Serge Ibaka helping the Bucks. Are there any other of the spokes in that four-way trade that intrigue well, you? No, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, um, DiVincenzo going into Sacramento, like, I guess he's going to probably go right into the Halliburton kind of role, right? Yeah. Um, or Buddy. I mean, he's certainly replacing some of the Halliburton Buddy Heel minutes. Like, he's, right. he should play a lot when he's healthy. Yeah, but he type of creation skills that and ball handling that 
Halliburton has to me anyway. Um, and so that's where I kind of see him going in there where Holiday will Holiday is obviously not the shooter, but he'll this, but Holiday is not the ball handler and creator that like Halliburton and DiVincenzo's are. So that'll be interesting. But no, the, the one the one last one is you know, Utah trying to put their season back together after all these losses. Uh-huh. Joe Ingles going down, and then they went out and got Nikhil Alexander Walker to add into the mix, and they needed point of attack defense so desperately right. um, that I, I, you know, I feel like this one's kind of being lost in the volume of all these other trades, and I, I, I think that's fascinating too to kind of see how Quinn Snyder tries to make that work because their offensive stuff is pretty prescriptive too. I mean, you know, Quinn coached under Bud you know, for yep. a piece uh, of time yep. there and, and stuff. And, um, you know, can, can they get, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, can they get him kind of kind of functioning around, you know, Donovan and Conley and, you know, uh, and kind of give them someone like, you know, Royce O'Neal's a really big, good, big defender, you know, big forward wing, you know, and Alexander-Walker is more got to put on ball. And, like, is he, you know, Donovan struggled to stay healthy this year a little bit. Is like, is he going to take some of that defensive workload they've always had to steer toward Donovan? You know, so it's just, I just find that to be a, a really intriguing um, kind of one there. I mean, everyone is focused more around kind of the CJ, you know, into New Orleans naturally. CJ has, has such a high profile. I mean, to me, he's such a likable player to me. Um, but I think you know you. I think we forget how serious of a team Utah was like the first half of this year, first third of this year, whatever it was, they had the you know, best record in the league. They're still the number one offense. Yep. And they needed that, some defensive presence there. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how see if, if how much this might help them. I'll be interested to see. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't move the needle a ton for me. I don't know. I, I just... Yeah, I'm not sure, but it's, I, I I'm just it's not super excited about Utah. I guess I I think yeah. that's part of it. Yeah, I, I don't even know if they're that super excited about themselves right now. All the noise you kind of hear around them is like, yeah, Rudy and Donovan are fine, and then you hear something, and it's like, who knows what's true, right? Um, but it at times you're like, man, they look good, and then like a few weeks later, you're like, man, it sounds like nobody's having fun there, <laughs> you know? So it's 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 interesting, and then. Uh, kind of uh, Danny Ainge coming in there makes it even that like gives it a whole nother kind of dynamic that makes it just super weird to me, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's not well, there to make friends, that's for sure. <laughs> is there anything else we need to talk about from a Hawks perspective? I don't think we so. really. We, we uh, did the 29 more than the ATL, <laughs> we, we sure did. I mean, <laughs> they got the Spurs next, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Spurs, and then is it Celtics on Sunday? Yes, okay. a Super yeah. Bowl matinee. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, that's how buried I've been in trying to kind of do my own analysis around this. But you know, need a win against the Spurs, and then uh, Boston's a team they're chasing. So big games. Yeah, the the Boston game. That's a that's that's a big one. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to. Look at the he's with me. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Go. Have a good night. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Enjoyed it.